about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, happy Halloween to those who are listening to the podcast. This is Chasing Giants, episode 35, brought to you by Biofarm.com. I'm Terry Peer, and the big buck killer, Don Higgins, is on the line. Hey, Terry. <laughs> I don't know where to start, man. I've been grinning for uh, approximately 36 hours since I got the text from uh, from you at uh, at about 8. What was it? About eight thirty, eight forty uh, a.m. on uh, Friday. What was it? Friday, October thirtieth. That yep. you just poked a hole in Mel. Yeah, um, and the listeners probably don't even know who Mel is. Yeah, so but, we're yeah. we're going to jump right into this because you know we, we thought about playing a little trick on all the listeners and telling them we weren't going to talk about it now, but. People want to know, and uh, I haven't even talked to you a whole lot, even though I've kind of been around the story building up for a lot of years. But let's just dive into this thing. Let's let's talk about this 220-inch whitetail. Yeah. As you know, Terry, it's a buck that uh, has been around since 2017 when I shot Smokey. Um, this buck that I call Mel actually was on the smoky video and uh he was just a year and a half old buck at the time but he was a he had a 10 point rack and you know i kind of took notice i don't pay that much attention to yearlings but uh, when they got 10 points um you know they got some potential if they can just stay alive you know and survive and that's exactly what this buck did so um you know he he earned his name a year or so later we'll get into that on the video we we'll, won't we'll, spoil all the, the surprises here on the podcast but you know we, we can talk a little bit about it anyway yeah so you mentioned you mentioned that um and and for for those that are just learning right now the the buck's name was mel um you know kyle Harmon, our friend from team radical actually was in the blind with you um both nights you went after smoky and the first night you all hunted him you saw smoky the second night when you killed him uh, there was a 10 pointer that walked through the frame that Kyle got good footage of. And if you go out to the team radical YouTube channel, or you can just uh, search for team radical Smokey, it'll come up. Um, it was published on December 15th, 2017. And if you watch that hunt, uh, right, right before Smokey comes out, uh, this deer as a year and a half old is in the frame for probably about 15, 20 seconds. So. Yeah, and, and I'll throw out there that some people are going to see this video footage and they're going to say that's not a, a year and a half old buck, that he's probably two and a half. And 
Uh, I'll tell you what, I've got dozens and dozens of trail camera pictures of that buck that year. I've got one of his shed antlers from that spring. In fact, I had it in my hand earlier today. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that buck was a year and a half old and 17, and uh, which makes him only four and a half this year. Right. But, uh, you know, I can pass a lot of deer, but when they get to be 220 inches, and especially this buck, because he, he was a roamer. He wasn't like Smokey. He was a homebody that just stayed home. This buck, I know for a fact, left my farm in three different directions. Um, two of those directions, I know he went at least two to three miles. And, and another direction, I know he, he went at least a mile and a half. And, uh, and you know, then- last year on opening day of gun season, opening morning of gun season, <laughs> 8 o'clock in the morning, I get this buck's picture a mile and a half from my place. Yep. And as I'm going through the cards that morning, here he is, 8 o'clock opening morning gun season. I'm like, this year's dead. He, he didn't make it. He's, he's done. I remember the and that text. was a three-year-old. I remember the text that morning, and, uh, you know, all of our stomachs kind of turned. And, you know, people are going to wonder, you know, with Smokey and Trump, you openly talked about a buck that you had a – I don't know, when you said it, I cringed, but you basically called it and said, I have a 90, 95% shot of killing him. And the other one was a real, and you didn't talk a lot about Trump, but um, we intentionally did not talk about this deer because of how much he actually went off of off of the property. That's right. He covered a big area. And, uh, you know, uh, I've talked about it in the past, how every mature buck has a different personality. And, and this one was just totally different than either Trump or Smokey. Um, and, and it was such that I, I didn't. And I knew for a fact that as other other deer hunters knew about this deer. Other deer hunters had this deer's trail camera picture. And other people were after him. And, you know, I knew it. And if they would have killed him fair and square, I'd have shook their hand and congratulated them. But I just wasn't going to tip off the entire free world that listens to this podcast that, hey, there's a giant running around. He's covering a lot of area. You guys need to get over here. Right. Um, some things you just keep your mouth shut until it's all over. And, and this was one of them. And, you know, it all, it all worked out. So we haven't really got a game plan of what we're going to talk about. We're just going to dive into the story. So if I, if I ask something that we want, we want to save for the video, you just say, we're going to wait till the video for that one. But let's walk through, um, in 2017 when he was a year and a half old, um, for the, you know, I'm sure a bunch of people are going to go out to team radicals, uh, YouTube page and, and look for that bucks video, um, as a, as a year and a half old. And, you know, there's going to be some people, like you said, that are going to argue with you, but it's not based on just that sighting. So talk us about, uh, what, it, what else we knew about him as a year and a half old. You said you found one of the sheds. Yeah, I found one shed that, uh, next spring but that fall there was actually two different year and a half old bucks that had 10 point racks and they were a little the racks were a little bit different this buck's main beams curved in you know at the front they they swept out and then they curved right back in um the other buck his main beams went out and then they just went straight forward so it was pretty easy to tell the two of them apart and i thought you know both of those bucks had a chance to be really special one day but uh the buck whose main beams went straight forward he disappeared that fall. I have no idea what happened to him. If somebody shot him or, you know, if he moved on and relocated or what, but, uh, you know, once the deer survived, you know, I, I really just don't pay a lot of attention to yearlings because it's so long before they're going to be shooters. It's so much can happen. They just, 
the odds are against it. So I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him. But it was the next summer uh, when he grew his second rack and he was in velvet. Um, you know, I've got certain situations where the bucks don't summer on my place. So they all leave in the summertime, but they don't all go in the same direction. They'll go four different directions and, and spend their summer in bachelor groups. And, and the same bucks go the same direction, you know, every spring um, for that summer. And then they return in the fall. Well, the next summer, when uh, the bucks were in velvet, I got this picture in one particular bachelor group of this really nice six by six buck. And uh, man, I just couldn't place that deer. He was about 160 inches. So this is the summer of 18. This is the summer of 18. Okay. Right. When this deer would have been two years old. Okay. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't place this deer. I mean, I didn't have a six by six there the year before and I couldn't figure out which deer it was. And so I went back and I studied the previous year's trail camera photos from that bachelor group to see which buck this was. And lo and behold, it's like, I mean, I'm talking, it took me two or three weeks of studying dozens and dozens of photos. Then all of a sudden it dawned on me. It's like, that's the yearling. That's the 10 point yearling. He's now a 12.2 year old. The sweep of the main beams, his brow tines gave him away. And it was, it's the best wild two-year-old I've ever seen by far. And, uh, man, when I seen that, I, I got fired up because I'm thinking if he's that good at two, how good can he be, you know, later? Right. So I actually yeah. saw that deer at a distance as a two-year-old in, uh, in 18 when I was hunting down on the south side, uh, one day. I, he wasn't close to me, but I actually saw him, um, had a uh, encounter could tell it was him from the binoc with the binoculars did you have any encounters with him the uh the hunting season of 18 did you see him or get any footage of him then yeah i've got i got several different video clips of him as a two-year-old and uh, found one antler that year or that following spring as well so i've got the one antler one shed antler as a yearling and one shed antler as a two-year-old so then, uh, you know, so we, we find, you know, one of his sheds and then 18 is when it gets really, really interesting. And let's, let's talk a little bit about that summer and was the bachelor group that he was hanging out with that same bachelor group in the same spot? It was, you're talking the summer of 19 when he grew his third rack. Yes, sir. Sorry. Yeah. The summer of 19. Yeah. So the summer he was of 19 when he was growing his third rack, you know, I'm expecting a a giant typical and uh, start getting pictures from that bachelor group. And there was no um, mistaking him when I seen him, but he had gone totally non-typical. Both G2s were forked, both G3s were forked and he had some extra stuff on top of that. And uh, he just exploded over 200 inches as a three-year-old. And you was sitting in the blind with me that fall, Terry, the fall of 19. Uh, very first hunt of the year. The first two days of the season were like in the 90s, and I didn't even hunt. Yep. But October 3rd was the first, uh, and you came up. I drove up And that to was film. the first time we hunted. Yep. yep. So I'm going to back up, though, real quick, because there's another connection with all of this. One of the bucks that Mel was hanging out with in this bachelor group was called the Fork Time Buck, right? Yep. So the Fork Time Buck in 18 was on kind of your wavering, am I going to shoot him or not? And you decided not to shoot him, and then late in the year, he ended up breaking one of his his split uh, 
G2's off, right? Am I remembering that right? Well, and he actually, he hurt his foot as well. Yeah, so there was that was that 18 or that 19? Uh, that, that was, was 18. Yeah, it was the fall of 18. Yeah, so then this, that summer of 19, you have this unbelievable three-year-old, and then you have the fork-time buck, which he would have been how old then, seven? He was, he was six and a half. Six and a half. So, uh, and he had had a broken foot the year before, so it was no doubt which one he was. And he went from having double fork G2s to having that flyer. So all of you who watch Don's social media, you know that that, that buck was killed. Don killed that buck uh, on, uh, what was it, back-to-back days? That was the first yeah, one Yeah, it was shot. November 3rd of 19 last right. year. So this buck that we shot you shot yesterday was actually in that same bachelor group that went the same direction every summer as the buck that you killed last year, which is, is right. pretty neat, pretty neat story. So, um, yeah, those first two days of October in 19, uh, you and I had talked about it. You were going after the fork time buck as one of the shooters. And I said, I would come up and video and the first two days were too hot, and you said, just stay home, and then we saw a big temperature drop, and I ran up there. I think I stayed for, what, two, three days maybe? Something like that, yeah. And uh, lo and behold, why don't you walk us through, and, and <laughs> trust me, we have this on video, but when he, this was the first time you had seen him out of velvet, is that correct? On October right. 3rd? You'd have pictures that of summer, him, but go ahead. Yeah, that summer before season, um, one evening I was sitting over a bean field and I got some pretty good footage of Mel and the fork tine buck, the buck I shot in 19 right. together with some other bucks in the bean field in velvet. So that footage will be, will be shared as part of, uh, you know, the hunt for this buck right. on the video. But, uh, when, when season rolled around, I knew this buck was over 200 inches Right. and I had the decision to make, was I going to shoot him or not? And I decided not to because I knew for a fact he was only three years old. And let's, and let's walk thought, through that a little bit because I even challenged you on that. I mean, I, I came back pushing you pretty hard because I knew the buck. I'd known the history of him since since 2017. And I was one of the ones at first that said there's no way that deer's, you know, two and a half in the first, in the first, uh, the first year. And then, you know, after you were showing me all the evidence that went with it, I'm like, wow. So then it became the, the thing that I, I'm i running camera, and my buddy who's hunting has already made up his mind that even though this deer is over 200 inches, he believes in his heart enough that that deer is only three and a half, and it doesn't matter whether it's on video or what, he's not shooting that buck. And sure enough, the first hunt, the first deer we see, he comes out and puts on a show for us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, but I'd already made up my mind and it was really a pretty easy decision because I knew that if I shot that deer, and put him on the wall, I would spend the rest of my life looking at that deer and thinking, what would he have done with one more year? He was only three and a half. What would he have been at four and a half? And this is, and, and folks, this is all knowing that he doesn't stay on your property this isn't this isn't you passing smoky as a 170 180 190 or 180 low 180s this is this is knowing that the chances of this deer getting shot keeps getting greater and greater and you still made that conscious decision because you wanted to let it let it ride and and give it it's give him a shot right that's exactly right 
And, so when, uh, when that buck came out on October 4th of, of 2019, third, October third, excuse me, I'm witness to it. You had a video camera down in, in between your legs. Your hand never went for your bow, not, not even thought about it. And we both ran two video cameras out of the blind that night. Yeah. And you know, it was not a bad shot either. I mean, he was feeding in a food plot at 25 <laughs> yards for, a, and you're, uh, you guys are going to see that when we produce this video or it's released, but we're going to share this footage of him at three years old and letting him go. And, you know, just to verify or to prove that he was over 200 inches, I found both sides of that rack last spring and, uh, he'd broken off uh, some tines, but what was left, I was able to measure, and I had plenty of pictures to know what was broken off that I could compare to. And I know he was within one inch of 216 inches. And uh, so for got the video of, proof. For all of you guys off. that want to know what I felt like, I was shaking. I mean, the blind was probably rattling. Uh, I've never, ever in my – I've been around and seen some big deer. Um, I saw Smokey um, for – quite a few times but to have a 216 inch deer within 30 yards of you for that amount of time feeding with his head down and there is absolutely no doubt question or whatsoever that I'm going to sh- that you're going to shoot that deer that was probably one of the highlights of my hunting career to be honest with you um, I haven't ever been able to talk about the emotions of that night of of having a 216 inch deer you're walking right underneath of you and you get in there to sit there and watch it. it. It was, it was unbelievable. Very special. Well, I mean, there's a, a lot of people have shot bucks over 200 inches, but not many have, have let one walk. Yep. And I guess that just shows how crazy I am. Yeah. Well, but you know, yeah. you could have shot that deer and said he was whatever age you wanted and people would have believed it. Um, you, you know, because it was on video and it was, it's pretty good footage even for it's not Steve Shields, you know, production type footage, but we had two cameras going in the blind and, you know, I mean, we had great footage of them. I mean, we, we, you could have gotten that hunt and, you know, financially benefited for both yourself and real world. And, but it was a conscious decision that, that you wanted to do what you thought was the right thing and letting this deer go another year. So I wasn't with you when you found his sheds, but got the text shortly after. Um, and, um, you know, you, you did mention, and I think that's a, that's kind of a vital part we can touch on a little bit. Mel was, um, he was a scrapper. Um, he had broken tines, I believe every year, didn't he? The, uh, shed that I found off of his yearling rack is intact. The whole, okay. the two year old antler that I have, He's uh, busted off the end of the main beam in one point. And then the three-year-old set that I found, he's busted off six times. And so, you know, I had to study pictures and, and you know, get the tape measure out and, and, and judge on some of those things. But, but I'm confident that he was right there at 216. Okay. But, but you're right. He was a fighter, and he was busting up his rack, which really – concerned me this year right I could mean, i get him killed before he busted something off well, that that's that's part of what we're leading into so you got you got those uh sheds 
uh, we didn't show anybody, even at the master class. You, you give quite a bit of insight to people on the master class, but we didn't talk about this deer specifically at the master class. Uh, didn't show anybody the sheds. We kind of kept them up, but holding those sheds, it's just like, wow, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, then it's a matter of what, how big is he going to be the summer of 2020? Walk us through that a little bit. Well, I was so anxious to get trail cameras out last summer. I mean, I don't, I was like a kid at Christmas and I don't ever remember being, I mean, I'm, I'm always anxious to get them out. You know, I'm always fired up for big whitetails, but when you've got a deer that you know was 216 inches the year before and you know, he was only three years old, you know, the sky's the limit. That deer could put on 30, 40 inches right? Um, or he could go backwards. So, uh, you know, last summer when I first got his pictures, I was, I was a little bit concerned, I guess, because he lost up most of that non-typical stuff. Right. And, you know, he became a straight up seven by seven typical with one fork tine on each side. And that's it. So, uh, and then I'm thinking, well, did he lose inches from last year? About the same or what? I actually thought he lost inches, but, uh, as it turns out, he, he gained a few. Yeah, we you went back and forth quite a bit studying different pictures and you know these things have been sitting on my cell phone for since July that I haven't I, you never told me not to show anybody but I haven't showed anybody and uh you know uh we we both you know kept studying and studying it and uh we had a little bit of a scare if you're all right with me telling this we had a little bit of a scare um right after velvet you, know, you you had you actually saw the deer. You had a sighting in in velvet this year, right? <clears throat> I seen him uh, at least two or three times in velvet this summer, and had his picture. Was it was the bachelor mm-hmm. group in the same direction, same spot? Well, you know, this deer became pretty much a loner. Mm. Um, two of the times I seen him, he was by himself um, feeding out and feeding. Well, one time he was with a doe. It was him and a doe. The other time he was by himself out feeding in a field. And when I was getting his picture this summer, um, he was pretty much a loner. And he, he left the bachelor. The bachelor group still exists in the same spot it always has. But uh, he, he became kind of a loner. And, and uh, he, he didn't even go to the same area um, where he had summered before, where I got the video footage of him and the fork tine buck the summer before. I had several cameras in that area just, you know, hoping to get pictures of him and, and did not get a single picture the entire summer. Yep. So, uh, you know, he kind of shifted it where he summered out a little bit and avoided other bucks. So then uh, Velvet Sheds, and I remember getting the text from you that you thought he had broke one of his main beams off, right? Yeah. Um, it was just the angle of the picture, but... Uh, you know, I was going back and forth as his rack was finishing out, you know, there in late July and August, and I was getting a pretty good idea of what he was going to look like. And, you know, I was, I, I was hoping this was a deer that was going to put on 20 or 30 inches and be a no brainer. And, and he did not do that. And so I, I know he's only four years old. I'm thinking, you know, all summer, do I roll the dice and, and let this deer walk again and, and take a chance on somebody shooting him and knowing that he's covering a lot of area and, other hunters and, know uh, about him. Right. Other hunters <laughs> had his photo from the season before and were after him. And, you know, I went, uh, I, I'll tell you, I went back and forth. And I mean, I lost a lot of sleep all summer just thinking, do I shoot him? Do I let him go? 
And I went, I had a, uh, invitation to be on an outdoor radio show down by St. Louis in September, right before season opened. And, uh, so I drove down to St. Louis for, uh, that afternoon to be on the, the radio show. And on my way home, it's about a two hour drive. Um, I just prayed about it for a little bit, you know, God give me the, the wisdom to make this decision and, and help me make this decision. And when I pulled into my drive two hours later, it was crystal clear what I was going to do. If that deer came by me and his rack was intact, hundred percent intact, nothing busted off. I was going to shoot him. But if he came by and there was anything busted, that was going to be my sign to let him walk. And, uh, when I finally got the chance to, to shoot him on Friday, and by the way, Friday was the sixth time that I'd seen him this season from a tree stand. Yeah, we're going to get three to of that. the first four days. Yeah, three of the first four days I seen him from a stand, but he was just too far away. Right. And uh, you know, I, I just keep thinking, you know, as I'm hunting this deer, that man, he's going to bust off some times at just any time, especially the, the end of this main beast. Yeah, the longer it goes, when people start really looking at the at the photos of this deer, they'll start to understand why the the shape of these main beams, the way they curl around there, um, the further it went, that was really a concern of yours, is that he was going to break that thing off. Right. And, you know, I'd already made up my mind. If he came by me and something was busted off, I was letting him walk. Right. Um, fortunately, Friday morning, he walks by, and uh, the shot... I'm telling you what, this is the best shot I've ever got on video footage as long as I've been carrying a camera. Um, I'll just leave it at that. It, it's very unique. The, the pose this deer does right before I shoot him and, you know, getting him walking into to range and all that. Well, let's, let's talk, a, pretty let, good footage. let's talk a little bit about early October and going through kind of the, the struggles leading up to October 30th, because there's still another part of the story here. Um, you know, it's, <clears throat> I didn't really have a, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't mean to cough in the mic. Um, I didn't really have a reason to come up early September for myself personally, but uh, Mel had been showing his face quite a bit, and you'd gotten pictures of him, and you had put a plan together for uh, that first uh, little bit of October to hunt him in the evenings, and we thought you had a really good shot of killing him, so I went ahead and came up. Steve was videoing for you, um, mm -hmm. but I hunted over on one of my other properties one night, and then we I hunted a little bit closer, and we did a podcast. But walk us through a, a couple of these sits where you actually laid your eyes on him. He was just way out of bow range. Well, yeah, he was he was active there in early October, uh, getting out of his bed before dark. Um, three out of the first four evenings, like I said, uh, laid eyes on him. But the issue, and it was a serious issue, was that he was bedding in a uh, real-world switchgrass field. And when he would exit that field in the evening, he always did it with the wind right in his nose. So there was just absolutely no way to get set up where he was going to come out without him smelling me. So, so this is where, I, I this is where discipline starts coming that's in. That's exactly bit. where I was going. Yeah. I, I could have forced the issue, you know, and I could have tried, you know, some of these gimmicks and gadgets for controlling the scent and slipped in there and did this or that. But I, I was pretty confident that buck wasn't going anywhere because I wouldn't put pressure on him. And I was pretty confident that as the rut got closer, he was going to be moving more, and, and there's going to be times where he was going to give up the wind just a little bit. 
and uh, you I know, remember, I was getting his picture. Right, and I remember Steve telling me one of those hunts, you guys were in a 360 blind, and he came out, and he was so far away from you, you actually <laughs> made the decision to get out of the blind and get out because you knew he wasn't going to cover that much ground and you didn't want to be trying to get him out, get out of the blind when there was deer close to you. So you actually ended the hunt early and got out. That's how sensitive you were to putting pressure on this deer because you were afraid he would gradually feed close and then you couldn't get out of the blind. Or not only him, but another deer. And then we were close enough that if another deer would have started blowing at us, he was definitely going to hear it. Right. And, uh, so yeah, discipline, you know, when things so, aren't working out, so it's what's not on, doing you any good to sit there. What's on the line is you, you were assuming, I think you had told me once that you thought he was around 210 is what you thought he was, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. But mm-hmm. what's at risk is you got a 210 inch deer that you had passed when he was 216 the year before. And we got to kill him before either he roams off the property or he breaks his tines up. And you still laid back and and didn't push the situation. So we get into middle of October. What was going on middle of October? Well, as, as you know, Terry, I never hunt October mornings. Um, you know, maybe the last couple of mornings of October. But during the early season and mid-October, I just don't hunt mornings. But Steve Shields come up, uh, he went home after the first few days of the season, had some work to do, and then he came back in mid-October, and uh, I made the decision to, to hunt a couple of mornings just uh, out of stands that I knew were pretty much bulletproof as far as getting busted. And you've talked and, about uh, that in the podcast before. If you do hunt mornings, it has to be the perfect scenario in order to do it. And you, out of, out of all of your stands, you really only have one or two, maybe. Yeah. And I don't even like to do it then because the bucks just aren't moving like they will be in a couple more weeks. Right. Um, but we, we did chance two different hunts on, on mornings, and, and we seen Mel on both of those hunts. And uh, not close enough for a shot. He was in some thick brush both times. Uh, got some pretty good video footage of him one morning. He was uh, making a scrape under a big oak tree and about 80 yards away and uh, i got that on on film which will be part of the the video we share but uh no shots so um that took care of mid-october and then uh you know we get into late october these last few days and and the weather report for the first week of november is is hot you know it's going to turn warm again temperatures in the 60s during the day and uh so it was the evening of October 29th. I was sitting in the, a stand hunting and hunting for male. And all I seen was a doe and two fawns. Well, that that's a pretty poor hunt on my farm. And it, the winds were just howling that day. And uh, the deer just did not move that evening. Well, one thing I've learned is that you almost never have two bad hunts in a row on my place. If you don't see a bunch of deer on one hunt, you don't want to miss the next one because you probably will then. So the evening of the 29th, um, had those high winds, always seen that doe and two fawns and overnight the wind was supposed to lay, the temperatures were going to drop, supposed to have a nice frost. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to turn hot next week. The first, um, week of, of November, I need to start hunting mornings tomorrow. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, I, I made a, a great uh, decision there because I, I think I seen seven different bucks that morning. <laughs> 
at one point, uh, I had four of them around me at once. And, and of those seven bucks I seen, one was a two year old. The rest of them were three and a half and older. And, uh, the bucks were just on their feet like crazy. Seen a bunch of does. You got video footage of bucks rubbing, scraping, chasing each other, chasing does. Um, there for about the first hour of daylight, you know, there was just steady movement around my stand. And then eventually, uh, you know, Mel comes into range and, and, uh, get an arrow in him. So let's, um, do you mind talking a little bit about the curveball that hit you the week before? Do you want to go no. into that? Well, yeah, we so, probably should. So there, there was a little bit of a curveball. I know we're, we, we keep bouncing back a little bit, but this is all kind of still part of the story. So there was a little bit of a curveball that your family got. Um, I, I don't even know what the, the date of that was. I guess it was the weekend before, right? Oh, week let's before. see. Yeah, it was sometime <laughs> the week before. My wife started feeling a little bit ill. Uh, not bad. And uh, then my daughter did. And uh, then on the Sunday um, before, yeah, you know, 25th. I didn't feel good. And my daughter and wife went and had COVID tests, and they both tested positive for it. So I knew I had it too. And uh, I had the one bad day on Sunday. But after that, I it kind of comes and goes. I'll feel fine for a while. And then I'll, more than anything, I'm just a little bit weak and no energy. Um, the morning that I, <laughs> end up shooting Mel. I, I was hunting out of a stand. I, I climbed halfway up the stand and, and I had to stop and catch my breath because I just don't have the lungs that I normally would. And, uh, and I'm probably, here's a really interesting part of this story. I'm probably the only guy in the history of the world who shot a 200 inch buck, knew the buck dropped a short distance away. And instead of going over and looking at the deer, I went back to the house and I went to bed and I took a two hour nap. <laughs> and, uh, because, uh, you know, I wanted Steve Shields there for the recovery and yeah. he lives about four or five hours away in Cincinnati. So yeah. I, I knew there was going to be time to kill. And I wanted my grandsons there too, to, to help with the recovery. And they live in Indiana. So I got everybody on the way to my house and, and I just went to bed. So people are going to wonder uh, that that's part of the story is people are going to wonder why Steve wasn't with you. Cause the, the whole plan this year was for Steve to be with you as much as possible. So he would get this buck, uh, on right. video. And because of you coming down with COVID, that was actually the reason Steve wasn't up there, but you yep. know, um, <clears throat> the hunt you had on the 29th, that bad weather, you knew you needed to get in the stand. So you basically sucked it up and, Said this is this is going to be a good opportunity, and um, you know shot the buck. What what time? About what time was it? It would have been. It was. I think I I have to look. You texted me between like eight thirty and eight forty Eastern time, so seven seven thirty seven forty your time, something like that. Yeah, it, it was probably a quarter to eight somewhere in there. Yeah, somewhere between seven thirty and eight o'clock. So how how far away did you see him when he was coming to you? I mean, did you was it a boom boom thing or did you see him coming to you and was able to get ready? You said you got some good footage that I'm excited. I haven't even seen that. So, well, I, I was had a buck right underneath my stand. You know, probably seven yards from the base of my tree, and uh, I was I had my camera running filming that buck, and that buck heard something coming. He tensed up and he turned to face the the brush the, the noise he heard in the brush 
And when he did, I looked up and, and I see Mel coming. So instantly I um, focused the camera on Mel and, and he walks up and he's, he's coming after that bucket's under my stand. He's all bristled up. His, his ears are laid back and he starts that sideways walk just a little bit. And he's probably, you know, 30 yards away at first. And he walks right up there. The other buck walks away, by the way. And then uh, Mel comes and stands right where that buck had been standing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've got to jack with the camera and, and make sure he's in focus and everything. And then snap my release on and get the shot off. But for some reason, I mean, that buck had no idea I was there. I think it was a God thing. I think I was going to kill this deer because uh, – I'm I'm sitting there in that stand in the wide open, and here's this buck seven yards away, without any idea I'm around, and I'm jacking with the camera, jacking with my bow, and somehow get that shot off without him even knowing it. Yeah. So how far away was he? Seven yards. Seven yards. So uh, you know we get we get the text, and I think my first response was praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know. Um, you you immediately said that you know I think you know there was I think there's two of us on the on the text chain me Steve and and Wes Delks and um you know one of us asked I think was it a good shot or whatever and you're like yeah you actually I assumed it was probably an hour later I assumed you were I mean I knew the whole thing was Steve Steve was throwing stuff in the back of his truck and getting ready to fly you know the up the interstate to to come get the recovery and you'd said that about your grand grandkids but um i think i gave you like a, and i knew you were gonna wait i assumed you had gotten out i called you probably an hour later and you texted me back you were still sitting in the stand filming these other bucks yeah i probably sit there for another hour and a half after i shot that i just hung my bow back up didn't even knock another arrow and just videoed bucks running by and chasing each other and making rubs and just one thing after another. I, I mean, I literally had deer in front of me from the time the sun came back. Actually, before the sun came up, they were under me in the dark um, pretty much until I climbed out of the tree. Well, I want to tell you something, and I I, I, I want you to, to really listen to me because I mean this with every ounce of my soul. You're the craziest man I've ever seen <laughs> because well. passing a deer that's 216 on video – No matter how old he is, I don't know of another single person, celebrity hunter or non-celebrity hunter, that would have done that. But then you do stick an arrow in him, and you know it's a good shot. You know where he crashes at, and you sit in this stand for another hour and a half filming other bucks and then go take a nap instead of sneaking down there and looking at him. I don't know anybody that wouldn't go down and try to put their hands on a 220-inch deer immediately. (laughs) You're crazy. <laughs> well, I won't even argue that point. I, I, my wife tells me that all the time. So, um, but I can say this, you know, when I was younger, I would, I would read things and, or hear older hunters say, you know, that the kill is not the important part the, the kill is anticlimactic. And, and I, I guess I understood it, but I mean, the older I get, I, I really get it. The, for me, the, the thrill is the hunt, the chase. And once I shot that deer, it was, I was almost sad that, uh, you know, that deer's never going to be on my trail camera again. He's not out there for me to wonder how big his rack's going to be next summer. Um, 
when I go sit in a stand, I don't have to wonder if I'm going to see Mal because he's dead. And the hunt has really became my focus and my whole purpose. And, and shooting these big deer is, I know it's, it's weird to say, but it's almost heartbreaking because the, the story's over when you shoot them. Yeah, but you're building. And I know yeah. that 99% of the people listening to this are going to have, are going to think I'm nuts. They're not going to understand whatsoever. But at 57 years old, I've shot more than my share of big deer. And uh, the hunt is really where it's at for me anymore. Yeah. And, and that and that holds true because you know you go back and you know we I wanted to double check which video Mel was in as a yearling and I'm sitting here looking at my computer screen right now and it's it's muted and Smokey played the video Smokey played through it and I'll never forget you calling your dad from the blind you know when you shot your last 200 inch buck and you wanted your dad to be there because he he hadn't been with you and i remember i remember you can hear your dad on the phone saying that they were at the weenie roast <laughs> i remember yeah. i remember hearing that and you waited for him to get and and the the fact that you wanted your grandkids there for this is going to be an awesome part of the story it's going to be awesome footage that um you know not only are we going to see an absolute world-class whitetail but um but you getting to share that with the two boys um, is, is going to be really special when this video comes out. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's the end of a story, but at the same time, I also know that there's other stories building. Um, but I don't know that we have another year and a half old. That's like this one that we're chasing that we know of right now, do we? No, but, uh, I do know where there's some young bucks that have a lot of potential. Now the odds of surviving is not good but hopefully you know one or two of the, the ones i know about will survive and they're not on my farm either most of them there's there's one that is but um he travels too and you know a lot could happen between now he's only a two-year-old a lot could happen to him you know be, before he matures but you know there's always another buck that comes along another story to be told but um, there'll only be one male yeah well i'm i'm from the time you told me to to still, I'm I can uh, I can't say enough how happy I am for you because um, I mean I mean every word I say when people don't understand ten percent of the work that you put in to do this, and I don't have the ability, and most people don't, and the sacrifice that you've you've made. Uh, to be able to chase this passion of yours, um, nobody really can understand that or appreciate it. But those of us that are close to you, I just I'm I, I'm tickled for you to be able to to put the uh, end chapter around the story of Mel. Um, I'm I'm honored that I've had the small you know been part of some of the the story over the years that I've been able to see and actually see him in person and be the one that was in the blind with you that can you know attest to you passing this deer um as as 216 inch deer so um we're gonna we're gonna talk later in the episode after we take a listener submitted question about uh what the next steps for the footage and pictures and all that kind of stuff is but um i'm just happy for you brother um i i I don't know anybody else that's more deserving well i appreciate it terry Uh, you've been a, a good friend in more ways than one over the last few years and been there when other people that should have been weren't and you know I, i'll never forget it yeah i value your friendship and i really appreciate all the the 
congratulations that came my way from t- through texts or messages through social on social media, emails, whatever. Um, to th- this afternoon, I had a few minutes. Just, well, I, should, I say a few minutes. I, I took an hour and a half to try to catch up on my text, and I did not even get halfway through them. Just thanking people for the congratulations and the kind words, and you know, there's always going to be a few haters out there, but you know, I haven't really heard much from them um, this time, and it's just been overwhelming the support. And I just, you know, I'm just really appreciative. Um, for everyone and, and their support. And one of the reasons I'm able to do what I do is because of the support from people that uh, listen to this podcast or, or subscribe to the YouTube channel or buy my books or buy the magazines that have my articles in them or whatever. So, uh, well, I think that, you know, I don't, I think that me and Steve and Wes are probably going to take the haters harder than you because we'd be about ready to fight if somebody said something about this story. I mean, because, because there is nobody that would sacrifice a, a, a 216 inch deer on film, getting that kill and, and do what you did. So if you got, if you got bad words to say, why don't you send them my way and let me talk to you for a little bit before you want to throw <laughs> them up to Don. How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I don't let the haters bother me too much. Uh, some days it gets to me because, you know, I, I always try to go out of my way when I got a lot of social media friends. And if I see somebody shoots a deer, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I don't see everyone's posts, but if I see them, you know, especially local hunters, but everybody really, I always try to congratulate people. If uh, any local hunter shoots a deer that I learn about and I've got trail camera pictures or something of it, I share those trail camera pictures or shed antlers with them or whatever. And I, I just try to lead by example. And so there, there are still haters out there, but you know, that's their problem, not mine. All I can do is lead by example and, and just show people one person at a time that uh, I'm not what some people make me out to be. Right. Well, we're going to circle back at the end of the episode to tell you what the next steps are going to be for seeing the footage of Mel and more pictures. But uh, if it's all right with you, Don, we're about 45 minutes into this episode, which rightfully so should have been spent on the story of Mel. But let's jump over to the buyfarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. All right, this week's featured property is 47 acres in Iuka, Illinois, which is Marion County. Uh, It's a very isolated property on a seldom used road. Uh, We actually featured this property here, I don't know, two or three podcasts ago, but the Apparently, the owner is um, motivated to sell, and I was asked to feature this one again, so so we are. But uh, there's a solar-powered cabin and a small pond on this place, um, established hunting blinds, marketable timber. Uh, it's gently rolling terrain um, with some great places to build a lake or a pond. There's an in-ground water tank, um, good whitetail and turkey hunting. Uh, the cabin is on the property is 12 by 24. There's also a 12 by 24 storage shed. Um, Terry, you and I talked about this place before. Um, if someone wanted to be off the grid, you remember that one? Yeah, I think this was, we featured this one the night that we had the live audience, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think, think we did. Yep. 
Yeah, but somebody wanted to be off the grid. When you go to biofarm.com or the Facebook page, there's some really good pictures of this property. They did a good job documenting this property. If you wanted one of those places to be off the grid, this would be one to look at, no doubt about it. Well, it's a great hunting property, too, and, uh, you know, the the price is right. Um, you've already got your cabin there to stay in yep. um, for a hunting property, but if, if you're interested, uh, you can see the details on biofarm.com, but you can also call Agent Don Bailey. Uh, Don's phone number is 618-919-1031, and he'd be glad to show it to you, but uh, very unique property with all kinds of different options. Yeah, you got a motivated seller, and there's marketable timber on there. You might be able to go in and do a couple projects and uh, and get a big dent put out of a paid out of a hunting property. So go to buyfarm.com um, and check it out. Yep, for sure. All right. So are we going to do a? Do we got one listener submitted question we could do tonight? Uh we do. Um, you want to do that? Sure. Uh, this one is from Tony Schrader from La Crescent, Minnesota. Um, Tony says, I always hear two things that can conflict. One, check your trail cameras, and if you see a target buck moving during daylight, go in after him. And two, never go to your best spots until the conditions are right. The best time to kill a deer in a stand is the first sit. Doesn't number one kind of go against number two? <laughs> You're going into or near your stand spot, presumably to get to your camera so aren't you messing up any stands near there with the intrusion that's a good question tony um and and for that reason i'm not a big fan of putting cameras real close to stand sites um i'm looking use those cameras you know for inventory and i don't care if that inventory happens at night or or during the day i'm not so much looking for a deer that's moving in daylight um I know when they're going to move in daylight, basically by the calendar and, and weather fronts. So, you know, it starts getting close to the rut and you get a cold weather front, that buck's going to move in daylight or as, or at least is a lot more likely to move in daylight than he was even the day before. So, uh, you know, I guess it depends on how you're using your trail cameras. If you're putting them close to your, your stand sites and trying to pick up on patterns that way that you can take advantage of right away. Um, then I suppose there's um, some validity to these questions, but I think I've talked a lot about using trail cameras to pick up on annual patterns as well. Uh, so I use my trail cameras a little bit different than most people. Um, hopefully that answers your question, Tony. Anything you want to add there, Terry? Um, for those guys who do like to put their trail cameras back closer to their hunting areas, I mean, if that's your style, we're not we're not bashing it. Um, you know, but, um, you know, cell cameras are a great option. That way you don't have to go in there. Right. Um, the second thing I would say is I've been to a couple of the properties that Don has hunted where there is a cell camera, not right on a stand site, but in the general area. And I can tell you that what I've seen Don do that I never, I never thought about it until I saw him do it was the access to uh, that camera was nowhere anywhere close to where the deer would be or to where his stand was. So it might be 20, 25 yards away. Um, I'm thinking of the one uh, 
hall where it was the one small piece of property, a small wood lot out in the middle of nowhere that I fell in the ditch trying to find the stand in the middle of the night or in the morning uh, last year. Do you remember that? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was the one that we always used to leave the truck running and you drove around the backside of it and you turned the radio on and we'd walk into the backside. You were checking that camera from the backside of the tree and then there was mm-hmm. a big there was a big drainage ditch through the woods and where oh, you were yeah. getting the picture yeah. was on the other side of the ditch. So you had a Reconyx camera that had a long trigger, you know, gets clear pictures further out, and you never got mm-hmm. on the other side of the I mean, this is a deep ditch, so the deer weren't gonna cross. So you were coming in from the backside. So find ways that if you do have to put a camera there that you're not tromping up and putting pressure on your areas um, or go with cell cameras. They're getting very, very popular, and I'm unfortunately doing a three-month-long test on six of them. So. <laughs> yep. So. Good points, Terry. I hope that answers your question, Tony, but great question. A lot of people put that yep. camera right on top of their stand. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we got time for one more. We're at 52 minutes. I think we got time for one more. Okay. Then the next question comes from Brandon McDaniel, Flemingsburg, Kentucky. Uh-oh. Is that close to you, Terry? Well, not real close, but close. He's in Kentucky. Well, we'll, we'll claim each other. All right. Maybe you can help answer this one. He says, I hear oh. talk about inside corners often. You mentioned a setup you did on an inside corner on the recent podcast. How do you decide which inside corner to set up on? Is it based solely on wind or sign or observations? In my example, I have a field with two inside corners surrounded by hardwoods, and both require a westerly wind. How do I choose? Well, I can tell you it's 100% on wind. Um, If you've got two inside corners on the same field, uh, that require a westerly wind, I'm going to guess that one of them requires a southwest and one of them a northwest because as you're sitting in that inside corner, you want your scent to be coming right out into the middle of that field. So uh, it's all about the wind. Yeah, I guess I'm just having trouble visualizing how both of them could be the exact same wind. I, I bet you're right. I bet one of them is a... I would have a stand in both of them. And the other thing we don't know based on the limited information is what is his access to both of them? You know, if his access right. would, would tip off one, um, you know, go with that one. You know, we don't know how far apart they are. They could be, they could be 30 yards apart. They could be 600 yards apart. We don't know, but um, I would just go with the one that is the right wind with the right access that you can get in and out. And I know in Kentucky, at least a lot of the properties that I have access to hunt here are exact opposite of what they are in the properties that I can hunt in Illinois. And a lot of times in Illinois, I can access um, timber or thickets from different directions. Here in Kentucky, mm-hmm. it's exact opposite. You know, out there, you got fields around thickets. Here, you got fields in the middle of thickets because it's a ridge top and falls way down to a creek on each side. So most farms, you walk out the ridge, the open, and the woods are on the side. And then at the bottom of the creek, it's another property. So it's a, it's a little bit different. So um, I, I would just really encourage you to, to – it, it's like the discipline that we always talk about on this. 
find uh, if it's a good spot in both inside corners, put a stand in both of them, but figure out what Absolutely. your access point is and uh, and use it with the right wind. Yep. I mean, if good there's point. if there's more information to this, uh, you know, send me a private message on Facebook or whatever with an aerial and. I'll uh, text it to Don, and we'll look at it and, and try to give you a little bit more. But that's probably about the best we can do with the information that we got, Brandon. All right. So. so we appreciate Tony and Brandon sending those questions in. If you've got questions that you'd like uh, like us to answer on the podcast, just go to ChasingGiants.com. There's a form there where you can send those in. If we pick your question, we'll send you a free Chasing Giants T-shirt. So. Brandon and Tony will have a T-shirt in the mail to you shortly. Thanks, guys. All right, so um, you still have a buck tag. Um, I did get to hunt tonight. I went straight to the farm from the softball field, and we ended up drawing like a one thirty afternoon game tomorrow. So I'm going to leave and head to Illinois, even though the weather's going to warm up the next few days. Uh, I'm going to head to Illinois tomorrow afternoon. I don't know that I'm going to see you since you kind of still are sick. I don't know that I want it. I've been fighting a head cold all week, but I don't know if I'm going to come up to your place or not. I haven't figured that out yet or not. But uh, what do you think you're going to do here over the next couple days? Well, tomorrow I know what I'm going to do. The wind is supposed to be just ferocious again tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to sleep in and try to recover a little bit. Um, it's been a pretty hectic last couple of days. You know, we're shooting that deer, and today, uh, you know, taking him to be processed and taking the head to the taxidermist and all that. Um, did some filming with uh, Steve again today. Um, so I'm going to take it easy tomorrow, and I'm not going to sit out there in this high wind, but I'm hoping by Monday I feel – good enough to get back after it i still have about uh, well i have at least three different bucks that i would shoot with my second tag i don't have another 200 incher so i don't want anybody to it'd be expecting me to pull another one of those out of my hat or something but you got a couple whoppers though yeah the three that i've got to, to chase i think are all over 170 yeah. so uh if i get a crack at one of them fine if, if not i've had a great season i'll just sit out there and video what i do see right so, um, outside of that, why don't you just give us a little bit of preview for, I mean, we've, we've gone through, uh, quite a bit of the story of Mel, but I want to assure everybody there's quite a bit more to the story that we're, we're leaving as a little bit of a cliffhanger. What are the next plans that you have, uh, uh, for the story of Mel? Well, Steve headed home this afternoon and he's going to start producing, um, this video. Um, there's a lot of material over the last four years that, uh, he's going to have to sort through and, uh, put together here, but he's a top notch video producer. He's, he's produced some of the leading TV shows that you've all seen. There's a reason that uh, we partnered up with, with Steve. This will be a top notch video it, when it's done. I'm hoping within two weeks it's done and, uh, it'll be posted to, uh, the chasing giants at Higgins outdoors. Um, YouTube channel. Um, something I might throw out there is that we, we are having a giveaway, um, free uh, admission or attendance to the Whitetail Master Course that I give in the spring. There'll be three of those classes held next spring. We're giving away free attendance to one person at each of those. 
to to be to qualify for that drawing, you've got to uh, subscribe to that YouTube channel, and you've got to like and follow the Higgins Outdoors Facebook page. Um, so if you do those things, there's a chance we could draw your name and you get to come uh, to that Whitetail Master Course. But subscribing to that YouTube channel, um, you'll be able to see that video as soon as it's released. So you're going to see a spot on that on that at that master class. You're going to see where Smokey was killed, where Don and I saw Mel as a 216 inch deer and didn't shoot him. And you're going to come really close to where he sh- he was shot. I don't know that we'll go all the way to that to that spot and stand but you're gonna be you're gonna be very very close to where he was shot um by being at that master class so speaking of the um youtube page you had a recent video that came out that got a lot of attention called uh rut myths so uh, i think that's pertinent to this time of the year why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about that if they haven't seen it yet yeah uh, i released the video rut myths which steve did a fantastic job producing and in it, I detailed four things about the rut that I think are misunderstandings. And and uh, one of those was that new bucks, uh, the idea that new bucks are going to show up during the rut that were never there before. Uh, the idea about October breeding, uh, the second rut and moon phases, you know, affecting the rut. Um, there was a few comments, you know, that people took exception to some of the things I was saying. And I think, you know, it's probably worth mentioning that I think some of that was due to regional differences. Uh, I'm talking about my experience in the Midwest um, where there was people like, I know one guy was from Texas, maybe a couple people from Texas commented and and some folks from Southern states saying that it was different there. And it may be, I I don't claim to be an expert in every state in the union when it comes to whitetails. I don't even claim to be an expert in my home state, but. I think I've got a pretty good idea after 40-some years in the deer woods and 25 years raising captive deer in, in the Midwest. I think i got a pretty good idea how the rut plays out in, in this part of the world. And that's kind of what I wanted to detail. You know, one of the, probably the biggest thing that people, or, or the biggest rut myth that people took exception to was the idea about new bucks showing up on a property. And uh, I, I'm telling you, Terry, I can't even remember. I know it's been more than 10 years, but I cannot even remember the last time I seen a buck during the rut that I did not already have that deer's picture. And I think some of that is probably the fact that maybe I'm a little more efficient with my trail cameras and other people. Um, but I just don't see new bucks showing up during the rut. And, and, and you, I think, and the way you log and manage all of your pictures year to year. Yep. I think I think that's another thing that people don't understand that, you know, there's some bucks that they would say, oh, this buck showed up. But if they really managed their pictures and went to the time and effort that you did to log everything and to keep track of all of it, they probably have a picture of that buck somewhere if they're running enough trail cameras, to be honest with you. And maybe it is the first time that he showed up that year, but did they have a picture of him last year at the same right. time? And, you know, I fully understand that, that bucks shift their range in the fall. I've talked about it many times. Uh, in fact, the next video that's that's going to be released, I'm going to talk about it even more. But uh, And that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is just a, a totally strange buck showing up somewhere that he's never been before. Right. 
and I just don't think that happens too much. I mean, radio collared research has shown that during hunting season, hunting pressure cannot push a mature buck out of his home range. He stays where he knows the terrain, where he knows how to be safe. He just doesn't pack up and take off running for the next county. And I think during the rut, that's pretty much true, too. Now, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm sure it does occasionally. But for the most part, I, I just don't see new bucks showing up. And and like I said, it's been at least 10 years. I can't even remember and the last time I seen a buck that I did not have a trail camera picture of him. And everybody, it's okay if you guys see different stuff. Leave a comment. That's That's part of what youtube is about you know we, we have a situation don produces a video if if you know he, you can be nice about it but just hey we don't have that in texas or we don't and and don and i learned from that too okay well there might be something different going on down there it helps us bring content to you guys when you leave a comment so i urge you to do that he's got uh four really good videos up there right now there's the debunking the rut miss uh, playing the wind was a phenomenal video. Um, there was the number one mistake deer hunters make, and then there was the rope scrape video, which, uh, am I allowed to say, did you, did you get a picture of Mel on the new rope that you put out? Mm, I did. <laughs> I didn't share that one, though, did I? <laughs> so, no, uh, but I'm going to be sharing a lot of pictures of Mel that I've got over the last few years. So if you follow the Higgins Outdoors um uh, facebook page you're going to be seeing trail camera pictures of that buck from the time he was a yearling until this year as a four-year-old so that uh, that uh, rope scrape video if you want to go check that out on on youtube that was one of the ways that don was getting uh pictures of this 220 inch deer so go to uh chasing giants with higgins outdoors youtube page um how are you starting to fill up already with your uh with your lane consulting do we you know, need to, Terry, we need to talk amazing. about that a little bit? Probably should just for a second because, uh, you know, typically what happens with my consulting work is that about Thanksgiving time, my phone starts ringing off the hook and I start getting these emails. And I think what happens is, you know, these guys, um, deer hunters, they take off vacation to hunt during the rut, maybe a week or two, and, and they're disappointed in their results. And, or they sit in their stand and they think, man, I need to do something different here. I need to get somebody else in here and get somebody else's opinion. And and that's when my phone starts ringing off the hook. But this year it's already started. I've already got a full page list of uh, consulting jobs to do this winter. And what I really want to throw out there is that uh, I've got a trip to the East coast plan. Now there's some of these states here in the Midwest where I'll make multiple trips to Ohio and multiple trips to like Iowa and Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, things like that. But when I go clear to the East Coast, it's one time in the winter, and I want to see everybody I can on that one trip. So if you're on the East Coast and have any interest at all in you know consulting this winter, please don't wait till the last minute because once I go and come home, it's over. I'm not going back. Right. It's just too far away. But I know I've got to go because I've already got a couple jobs out that way in New Jersey and uh, – I forget where the other one's at, Connecticut or something. But uh, 
Well, so helps, just throw that out there. It helps you be more efficient with your time. You can actually, you know, get with more people the earlier people communicate with you. So uh, if you want to learn more about Don's consulting uh, programs, go to HigginsOutdoors.com. Also, uh, with holidays coming up, um, you got some still some books in inventory. I don't know if you've been selling any of those, but... Um, great opportunity to, uh, get more understanding of Don's ideas. Um, uh, real world whitetails is probably, st- or hunting, hunting whitetails in the real world is probably still my favorite and, uh, probably the thing that I learned most about, uh, mature bucks of anything that you've ever written. So, uh, I think they can find your books online too, right? Yeah, they're, on, they're available on the website, HigginsOutdoors.com. One thing I'll throw out there, that book that you're plugging, Terry, my first one, I do not have too many more cases of that book left. I'm thinking maybe four or five cases uh, of those, and they're going to be gone forever. Um, still got plenty of the Whitetail Icons books, but you know I sell more of them in November up to about a week before Christmas. I, I, a lot of those get given as Christmas gifts, so if you got a deer hunter on your list or you need to leave somebody a hint on what to buy you, um, those books... Um, on hunting trophy whitetails on my website, Higgins Outdoors, uh, maybe an idea for you. So, thanks everybody for tuning in. What an awesome story! I know we took a lot of time, but uh, this is a special, special story that um, um, I'm just uh, I'm really happy for Don. So, make sure everything Center Hub that you're going to find out more about uh, the story of Mel is going to be on Chasing Giants with Higgins Outdoors YouTube channel and on Higgins Outdoors Instagram and Facebook page. So make sure you go follow those and subscribe to it. Share them with your friends. Please leave messages. Um, uh, let's let's really blow up Don's uh, YouTube channel here. Let's get, let's really get this thing going. I, I want people to really know the the history with uh, with Mel. Awesome story. So um, congratulations again, buddy. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. Appreciate everyone's support out there. So why don't you take us out with our sponsors tonight? All right. We want to thank Biofarm.com, 360 Hunting Blinds, Quiet Cat, Real World Wildlife Products, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, and Matthews Archery. And I don't know why we don't have any music playing. But uh, wish everybody the best here. Uh, the rut's firing up. Be sure to check out the uh, rut report on uh, my social media. Stay safe, everyone. I was saving the music to tell you you're crazy one more time. <laughs>